Welcome to Writer's Blockbusters, the show where we treat the final edit of a movie like the script. I'm one of the hosts, Bob Rose. My Twitter handle and my Instagram handle are at ThunderGruntBob. And now Jimmy George is going to introduce himself. Ah, I am Jimmy George, in case you didn't understand my name from Bob. <laughs> Jimmy George is going to introduce himself. My Twitter handle is at Jimmy R. George. I, I am not, I haven't been on Twitter in a couple of months, but... But if you have questions, yeah, please send them to me. Please tag me. I will find them eventually and be able to respond. So, yeah, it's worth saying. Hmm. And I am Jamie Nash. I am a screenwriter. And I wrote the book Save the Cat Rates for TV and the Save the Cat Be Cheap workbook, which you can now buy on Amazon. Uh, and my Twitter handle is is at, I, do I have to say at? You just say Jamie underscore <laughs> Nash. <laughs> It's up yeah. to you, Jamie. You say yeah, it right. if you want to say the Whatever I mean, you want to say. Earn that right. Is, um, it, is at kind of passe? Is that something? It's like really www. It's something yeah, old it's like, people say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like well, tw- that 20 year old. Yeah, 20 year olds listening to this like these jackasses. Yeah, these old dudes say at like a bunch of like, I don't even know. I don't even know the terminology they would use. You know, um, Squid brain or something. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, like if you do, if you have never listened to this show, what makes this episode really interesting is that I feel like it's almost our personal term because we're show, our show is called Writers Blockbusters, where we talk mostly about blockbusters. But our personal term for the movies that we talk about for the past five years has been calling them cheeseburgers. <laughs> and so I feel like now that you're tuning into the menu episode, this is like the one this is the episode where we get to literally talk about a <laughs> cheeseburger in the context of the movie. <laughs> yes. So, it's, it's, you know, it's very. Like, it's, are they listening to our show? I highly <laughs> doubt it, but it feels like it. <laughs> right. We're, we're clearly not it's, the only people who who refer to, you know, blockbuster arc plot stories as cheeseburgers no yeah. I don't, i'm not saying we invented it i'm just saying no. we say it often but we, I, yeah. I think i think what this movie does is it tells us that the other movies don't matter <laughs> we, no definitely but wait before we get into that okay let's yes. go let's let's talk about our per, a short personal blurb about how we felt about this movie from each of us let's start with the one and only jamie nash yeah, I, so I watched it on HBO Max, uh, or is that what the kids call it today? Or did they just call it? for right now? It's HBO Max. It no, might be changing its name the Max. soon, right? Um, the, the yeah, Max. yeah. And I uh, <laughs> like like I wasn't even sure if it had a true box office release, but I did just dig up the box office numbers and realized it made about thirty eight million domestically and seventy eight. Uh, million internationally so it did have a, a the i wasn't even sure until about the second um my uh, i had heard a lot of buzz about it um i i remembered it from the blacklist which we'll talk about um later on and um so i was excited to see it and i i enjoyed it um to me um the, it, it it's not like my favorite movie of the year but it's not one i'm negative on either so i i give it a solid you know, got a solid B or B plus for me. Um, I I enjoyed it a lot, um, and that's about all I have to say about it. <laughs> that's great, <laughs> short and sweet, Jimmy. Yeah. Okay, so first off, let's let's tell the listeners the truth that the reason that the two of you picked this movie is because you thought I would hate it. And therefore, you thought it would be a great episode while the two of you enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm going to blame here. Jamie more on that. <laughs> I, I didn't necessarily think that. But... You guys are 
trying to make me frustrated. I love it. I love it. Um, no, but twist, twist ending. I fucking love this movie. Like, uh, first of all, as a a background, before I did not before while I was doing uh making movies simultaneously, um, I spent. 17 years in retail in the service industry. And before that, I worked in a restaurant. So as someone who worked in a restaurant and in the service industry for two decades, um, I connect deeply with a lot of like what he's saying, you know, and what the observations the movie is making um, like thematically. So, you know, the givers and the takers and, you know, all that stuff. And so that I definitely wasn't expecting. Um, and the second thing is just like from a from a screenwriting standpoint, um, it's another one of these uh, really unconventional scripts that I feel like there's so much craft that we could talk about that we're only going to hit like half of it. Um, so for me, I was really it really took me by surprise, especially since these two were like. <laughs> You're going to hate it. This is going to be great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I loved it. That short answer. I loved it. I think it's a really there's lots of interesting creative choices that we're going to talk about. And um, yeah, there you go. That's, I'm glad, Jimmy, I'm glad you liked it. I, I didn't specifically want you to hate it or anything. I just <laughs> I think I might have just said like, oh, Jimmy's going to hate this. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, okay, so you, you know what you know what's interesting about this, and this is not that I think Jimmy would only like it for this reason, but this movie is not a cheeseburger, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get there. I, the irony of it, yes. that not being a cheeseburger. Um, yes. Uh, so how I felt about it is I really I I liked it the first time I watched it, and I think I'm bordering on loving it the second time. I enjoyed it more the second watch. I'll say that. Um, but. I remember my first watch because I like kind of went in cold. I didn't know much, like kind of like Jamie. That's that's kind of what I did. I, I, I like, knew nothing. I knew I, yeah, Ray. I was waiting for them like to serve a person or something. You know what something I mean? Like, like that. Yeah, I was, some yeah, they want they want you to feel that way. Hotel yeah, hell. I was yeah. waiting for it to be that type of movie. Yeah. Um, but I guess in the end, I, I'm trying to keep this short. I was like watching. I'm like, why the hell is this movie so funny? I was like, that's kind of was my biggest reaction to it. I was like, why am I enjoying? I was enjoying it way more than I thought I would, and I thought it was really funny. Like, it's a funny movie, more so than I think some people that I've seen reviews realize. Like, they're not getting the humor from it. And then I was like, all right. So, I went, of course, after the movie was over, I go to IMDb, and I'm like, okay, the the director. I don't know if anyone knows this, but the you know the Sasha Baron Cohen's characters. All he had three characters on his original show. Bruno, Borat, and Ali G. The director of the Ali G movie is the director of the menu. <laughs> if you've ever seen the Ali G movie, it is like an absolute wacky, silly comedy. It's a movie I really enjoy from like the aughts, right? And I was like, wait, this has the same director as the Ali G movie? All right. And then, you know, we'll talk about, you know, the writers and stuff, but it, it's crafted by a bunch of people, mainly with their roots in comedy. And that's why I was like, okay. Now I get where I was standing when I didn't understand. Like, it's really funny, and this is the reason why. I think that actually made me enjoy it a little more, too. Because I was like, all right, it's the voice of comedians. All right, now I, I get where I'm coming from with it and everything. So I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the movie. Um, Jamie, 
mm-hmm. to finish out what I just started. Who wrote this shit? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I've lost it now because I looked at the box office. <laughs> I, um, I mean, I, I've got it here. If you want me to say the yeah, you can you can say their names. And we're gonna now. have an unconventional episode here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I, unconventional. Bob's gonna do it. Uh, it's Seth Reese and Will Tracy. Okay, I think it's pronounced Rice. No, I'm just Seth kidding. Rice. I, it might be. I, I'm making fun. Of that. <laughs> I'm, try, I'm trying to mimic. I'm trying now. to mimic Jamie by saying yes. Yeah, See, it. not so easy, is it, Bob? Seth Reese. Uh, yeah, he's <laughs> he's known for stuff. Uh, he, I mean, he was a writer on Comedy Bang Bang. If you guys know what Comedy Bang Bang is, mm-hmm. it's ba- like you know, basically a sketch show. He's written for The Onion. Like I mean, John Oliver. I saw both John of Oliver, them. Both right. of these writers, Will Tracy. Yeah, assuming that's how they know each other was John Oliver. Yeah, right. Now, so now the the only like feature credit or or fictional show in in this case a TV show. One of them had a Succession. I think was yep was on their resume. Uh, well, the, Tracy so the, wrote for Succession. Yeah, the director of this movie um, directs episodes, multiple episodes of Succession. So that's. The director of the menu so right. they're all like tied together yeah they, they've got their roots in upright citizens brigade the onion and comedy bang bang that's like <laughs> that's like deep underground comedy stuff too so that's you know so it really informs thing. you know the Where experience the we got yeah, yeah. it really does and, and if I you, the presentation read, doesn't feel like that at all right no it doesn't yeah if you read interviews with them they kind of talk about like yeah well i write one scene and try to make him laugh and then if i think that's funny so they they're writing it they're not like well we wanted to do something serious or anything mm-hmm. like that they're they're definitely coming at it from a comedic kind of you know vibe I mean, I would say that the uh, the menu listings of the ingredients is where the movie gives away that it's supposed to be hilarious. Like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's where the giveaway is. And that kind of sets the tone for the rest of it, for me, at least, you know? Yeah, I felt, well, I felt like the jokes were always there functioning very much like so, a horror totally. comedy to relieve the tension, right? So, yeah. yeah. But uh, you guys wanted to talk about the blacklist is something mm-hmm. we really haven't covered here, is it? I don't think we've ever really dove in. No, we haven't. Yeah. So, Jamie, what's the blacklist? Yeah, I'm about to sneeze, but I was uh, so I was trying to I was it's trying a, to force it out, and now I didn't have to. It's all thought, scripts about you know, nose deformities. I, I, I mentally, <laughs> mentally, uh, you know, willed myself not to sneeze. <laughs> you um, can sneeze. Go for it. No, it's too late. I, I've I'm not already edited it out. I've already destroyed it. In my, in my Jamie's using one of the types of tension right now. Right, that's right. <laughs> so, um, so the that's right. The sneeze is going to happen one of these seconds, but I'm not sure when. The sneeze under the table, like Alfred Hitchcock once said, <laughs> we could talk about baseball for ten minutes, and then the sneeze could happen, or you could announce the sneeze first and then talk about baseball. That is tension or suspense. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, without that, so. This this particular project, it, it hit the blacklist in 2019. <clears throat> the blacklist is, it, there's two basic things that, when I say blacklist, that might, if you're a screenwriter, might trigger in your head immediately. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about both of them today. Um, so number one is, originally there was this, there was this list by a guy named Franklin Leonard. 
and he cre- he basically started this um, just kind of grassroots survey of agents and producers in Hollywood to say, you know, what's the best uh, unproduced script that you read this year fe- for features, for feature screenplays. And he would make a list every year. It comes out in December, kind of around Christmas time. And um, it's, you know, it has all these scripts. And and in 2019, the menu made this, this list. And I've been reading it. I can't remember how long it, it goes back. I should have looked it up, but it's not super old. You know, maybe. It's- yeah, I think it's like 2011 or 12. Yeah. There's been a string of in the early goings when this started movies would get made off of that list. Like the being on the blacklist would like just launch your career. It's, it's a little weird in that when it first started, like if you go back to 2011, there was probably, and I'm just going to make this up. Like don't, don't fact check me on this. (laughs) Things like the social network would be Mm -hmm. on there and it was already in production. Right. So it was, yeah, it didn't get made, but. Yeah, David Fincher's already writing his storyboards for it, and they already have a cast. So there were a lot of scripts like that. And those things still somewhat end up on there, Mm -hmm. but I think it's less so now because I think the list has now been um, uh, politicized in a way like that managers try to break new writers. Like, Like it's more important for the writers of the menu who don't have any feature credits to get on this list than Aaron Sorkin. He's like, what is it? I don't even know what that is. You know, he doesn't need it. Um, So now managers and agents who kind of care about breaking their new writers and putting them up a level, um, they try to get them on this list. They campaign almost. And when I say campaign, it's, it's really just, they send all, they send the script to all the right people. And then they give him a couple phone calls to remind him, hey, when the blacklist comes, don't forget that script you read. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, and you see a lot of managers and stuff. It's almost their strategy is to get clients on this list. Like, or, you know, and they 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 actually, you, you'll see the numbers at the end of the year. It'll be like, this manager got five scripts on the blacklist and this mm-hmm. one gets six. And there's like, there's like two or three or four of them that are always ranked like kind of toward the top and two or three or four agencies or, or um, management firms. I usually think of managers as doing this that really focus on this as a strategy. And then there are other managers that could care less or just don't want to take the time or, or whatever. So it is a little bit of a popularity contest. It is a little bit rigged. We'll put quote unquote, and you could easily see where these two writers in 2019 they would have had, they were connected, right? They, they were people yeah. that were, they were they already working. John together. Oliver. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so for them, it totally makes sense that they would, their managers would go to bat for them. Cause they were like, these are talented people. They have a good sense of humor. They're good in a room. Let's get them on the blacklist. It'll change them from being, you know, late night writers or whatever the onion to being, you know, hot feature writers with a big voice and like new talents. So, for people like them, they're like the perfect candidates to end up on like the 2019 blacklist. Uh, that's, the, my, that's but that, but but I, go ahead, Bob. I was going to say, is there anything that the blacklist favors? Like, is it like does it favor genres? That's, that's a great high that's concept a great, stuff. That's a great question. So, for I, I'll occasionally write a script that I'm like, well, I'm kind of doing this as much for the blacklist as I am for 
to get made because it's not mm-hmm. going to get made. But for many years, I tell you what it was. It was biopics. If oh, like okay. like the number one thing that would rise to the top of the list, if you looked at the rankings, was something like, and these are real things. These are like it was the story of Michael Jackson as seen through the eyes of Bubba, uh, Bubbles the chimp, his pet chimp, or something <laughs> like that. Or um, and they would be these wild swings that you're like, they're never going to make that into a movie. Um, I think one one year that was the making of Star Wars as seen through the eyes of Chewbacca or something like that. You know, there were there were things like that. Um, and that's why I say the social network was on there. Um, lots of like the making of I, I read all the horror ones. So there was like the making of Maximum Overdrive when Stephen King was coked up, you know, and they're kind of <laughs> fictionalized biopics that take these big swings that um a lot of times don't get made um because you don't have the rights or whatever. You know, there's some there's some crazy things. And that they're actually the type that I've written in the past that I'm like, I'm like, maybe this will be a black. Now, mine never made it to the blacklist, but they're usually kind of almost like stunt scripts or what they call, there's a term for it, fuck it scripts. Like the ones who are just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't care right, about the marketing rules. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the menu could even be like one of those to an extent for these guys. Like these guys are like, you know, screw it. I, they, they want me to write like some, um, you know, John Wick, female John Wick movie or something like that. I think I, I saw somebody say, and we don't want to do that. We want to write some crazy thing about this dark comedy about, you know, high end dining, you know, and it might not be the most marketable thing, but they do it anyway. But yeah, biopics are actually, that's the thing that hits. If, if, if there was one genre that hits more than the others, it tends to be biopics. The only the the one the second I want to just see if you would you talk about the second version of the blacklist and then I'll bounce off of you with some of my uh, absolutely. client experience because you've submitted through that second for even though you have, have management you've also submitted through that second version right I have I have so we just thought this would be a good time to talk about the second version of the blacklist so Franklin Leonard basically his list got so popular um he kind of found a way to monetize it in a way or use the brand to uh, offer services up to fledgling screenwriters to kind of be seen where they couldn't be seen. And what it is, the blacklist is there's a website called the blacklist and it's only affiliation is really the label and the owner. Um, but it's a website where people submit scripts and those scripts can be hosted or, or at least listed on the site. And they sub- submit scripts for money. You have to pay for, for coverage um, and listings. So you pay, I don't know what it is, but it's like $100 a pop to get to get coverage. And their professional readers will read and, and grade your script, essentially. That's what coverage mm-hmm. is. Coverage is a little book report with kind of like a, a grade listing. Like, I give it this for structure. I give it this for character. I give it this for dialogue you know and they give a little grade for each thing and then they give you an overall grade and the blacklist is one of these things i I, i'm not a day-to-day follower of the blacklist like some newbie screenwriters they play it like it's a legitimate system like if they can score a nine from two or three rankings they will get on some list and the doors will open for them and they will win the day and it's like it's almost like a game they're playing where you can resubmit 
like every time and be like, maybe I'll get like a nine drafts, this time. Like and stuff. Yes. Yes. So you keep resubmitting your draft and playing the game and trying mm-hmm. to get a nine. Um, and and this is, I'm sure Jimmy has a lot to say about this. It's a little bit of fool's gold in some ways. Um, no, I, I'm sure if you get a nine, there are definitely people that that win the day and stuff like that. But it can be very frustrating in that I've I've had scripts submitted to it. Like uh, especially when I co-write a lot of the people I co-write with, they'll they, they'll submit because it's a good it's a good option. If you don't have any other options, it's a good option. Exactly. Get... Well said. Well said. Um, that's so, the value. Is it? That's free the value. To submit? It's not no, free. It's not that's, free. Okay. That's the bad side of it. Is it's okay. not free. But the good side of it is, at least it's something. You know, it's not a contest. It's not a. It's something, and you do get feedback. It's not as good as Jimmy's feedback. It's it's like one little book report that. Um, but here's here's what my experience has been. It's so, and this is true of all screenwriting. And, and this, this is, is you as a as a professional who does this for a living, who has agent and manager. And right, has, right. Yes. So, yeah. so generally, I would try to stay away from this just because I know how subjective it is. And I have other people I could submit to. But in a couple of cases, I've had things submitted. And those things got decent scores. Like maybe they got an eight or nine on the score. And if if they do get an eight, the blacklist, it triggers some things. Like the blacklist tweets out your script slog line. The blacklist sends out an email for, you know, that you're in the top 10. And they do some things. And I... I and not too long ago, and I don't remember the exact numbers, I had a script that was submitted and it got like two nines or something like that. And then, or maybe an eight and a nine or maybe two eights. I don't remember what it was, but it triggered these things. And then the blacklist also gives you like free reviews if you get that, because they're like, oh, this might be one of our better scripts. Um, I'm going to send it out. And in these cases, and I'm not, again, I'm not remembering the exact that happened. We got these free things. And then the next person comes in and gives you like a four or something like, you know, the first With the two same like, script, same, With the script, same script, no different. And the next one's four. And it's completely like, this is the worst script I've ever read, you know, or whatever. <laughs> so the first two are like, the first two say things like, um, this needs no changes. It's ready to be made. And then the next one comes in and it's like, you get a four and this thing is barely professional. It's an embarrassment or so. They didn't quite say it in those terms, but it, that's kind of the the note behind the note. So all, all I'm saying is these things are fine, especially I, I encourage them if you have the money. I don't I don't think anybody that doesn't have the money should feel guilty about not doing it because I don't think they're that worth it. But if you have money to blow, if you have a couple hundred bucks to blow in your script, I don't, you know, go for it, go for it. But the only thing I'd say is don't, don't treat them, don't feel like there's anything but subjectivity to them. Uh, I think people, I've heard people, I've had people come to me that I've consulted and Jimmy, I'm sure you had the same. They're so frustrated when they get like an eight and then a four and they, they come to me and they're like, I don't know what to do. One gave me a four one. And I just kind of shrug and I'm like, yeah, that's, that is what happens. And Mm -hmm. you are at the mercy of the, of the reader, the mystery reader. Yes. Yeah. You know, even on the blacklist, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> well, so so I'll share a little, and then we can move on. I, I really appreciate that you sharing all that, Jamie, because yeah, like I you. feel like we haven't we're on episode ninety one. This is the mainstay of screenwriting that we're talking about here. Everybody who's trying 
to break in, knows about the blacklist. And and one other thing I should say, Coverfly is a little like this now as well. Uh, They kind of have a score and it tracks through. Theirs is a little different. Coverfly has a score that tracks through contests as well as coverage, but it's a little bit similar. It has yeah. some similar stuff. So I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm going to try to minimize how much, because this is a topic I could talk about for like an hour passionately uh, in many ways. <laughs> so first of all, let me first say up front, I am a part of the pay to play system. I am a script consultant. People pay me to help them with their scripts. So I recognize that me having any issues with the pay to play aspect of this is, is contradicting. Um, but that being said, there's, there's like a couple things that are very common that I see when it comes to blacklist expectations and responses from clients who are like trying to break in. Right. And just, they're looking for validation, you know? Um, and, uh, and they're looking for an edge, right? Anything. Um, especially if they don't have an agent and, and I have heard stories of clients I've worked with who have gotten that coveted nines across the board and being able to speak to that and put that in, in their pitch, you know, when they're sending out uh, queries has gotten them through the pile, right. To the top of the pile. So, so there is value in gaining those, those scores, uh, on a case by case basis, Um, But that being said, what I see more often is two things, which is so so quite often people who I've worked with will either when they're working with me for the first time with the script, they'll be like, here's the script. I want to do the notes. And they'll be like, here's what the blacklist said about it. Right. So they're like they're specifically asking me to speak to the scores and why they got the scores, you know. Um, And then the second thing that happens, which is worse, is someone will get an eight or a nine across the board and it's not a script that I think uh, would uh, excite a reader. Like it, it's just not good. And so what that does is it gives the writer a false sense of completion of their, like of their craft level. So they're, they're coming, they're, they're coming out of the gate uh, putting all their money into all the contests now and putting all their effort into like sending out queries with this script that is not ready. And so that's the danger of all these coverage services. Um, but then the the other thing is that a lot of people, they basically put all their hopes onto this because what they assume is there's th- those two distinctions that Jamie stated, the blacklist that's the end of the year industry, best of the best of the industry that isn't made versus the, you know, the pay to play just coverage system, getting the scores and the and the, the one page of notes. Um, people people misunderstand and think that if they get nines they are gonna get on the list at the end of the year so what you have is you have all these people who are paying putting you know like one script after another in there and they might get nines and it still doesn't get them on the list and so it's there's like a, a lot of confusion in that like people are assuming that if they score high they're gonna get on the list which that's not how it works um and so it's it's like really important to understand that but yeah, I I have a lot of people, Jamie, who experience exactly what you're saying, which is 
they'll send me a script they want me to do notes on. And they'll be like, here's my three blacklists that like I paid for. One is the fives all across the board. One gives them ones all across the board, one out of 10. And then the other gives them eights. And they're like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm like, yeah, it's it's not about the script. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the reader, right? right. I don't know, right. I don't know right. what to yeah. tell you. I'm and, sorry. And that, <laughs> that's the thing too, is the readers, and not to disparage the readers, they're doing what they have to do. They're doing what they have to but, do. Right? It's the it costs a hundred dollars to get coverage. If you pay somebody like Jimmy, uh, if you pay me, it's going to be a lot more than that, mm-hmm. but, and not not a ton more. I mean, not ten times. God, but, this is sounding like a sales pitch, even though it's we weren't intending it to well, be. <laughs> well, and I'm just saying the reason it costs more is because it takes a long time to sit down mm-hmm. and be considerate of a script, and they force them for for a, so they're getting paid like a hundred dollars, and. The reader probably gets 40 or 50 of that Mm -hmm. to read the entire script, think about it, write a synopsis, write notes and give scores. I mean, it's just so and obviously the only way they're doing multiples in a day, multiples in a day. So if you're doing that for 40 bucks, you can't, you know, I'm not saying it's not going to be detailed. And this goes for really like any contest that are going to give you a score and And a one page coverage and. And and people that are really, you know, like development execs and things like that, that, that also get paid to do this for a living, they're making more than 40 bucks a script. I mean, in general, or they have a bigger, because they could be producers and stuff of these scripts. So, so the people that are super talented with this are probably, not to say, you know, this is kind of an entry level job. These people might be super talented, but they also might not be. They might be really, they have might have really bad tastes. Um, I wrote. <laughs> I remember one time, this is many years ago, I submitted a TV pilot and, and the TV pilot was something to do with ghosts, right? It had, it had, um, it was a horror thing. It was kind of poltergeisty or something. And literally this was the note I got back. The note I got back was ghosts aren't scary. I cannot think that ghosts would ever be scary. This will not work because it has ghosts. And that was like the big note. And it was like four, you get a four. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, okay. It's like I all guess. objective language too. Like ghosts yeah. are not. It, I, I wish words. I, I wish I still had it. That one, I'm not even really exaggerating. Like, it sounds like that's the one I'm exaggerating. That's basically what the, what the, um, and you know, it's from that moment. I was like, wow, they're not even trying to be like, you know, uh... readers. It's just like, my opinion <laughs> is right. And I have a really bad opinion, you know. <laughs> we you can write horror movies. There's literally but... like super f- beloved classic films based entirely on ghosts. It, it was, it was <laughs> most. And uh, honestly, I should have asked for a refund or something, or you know. But and I was they just are like, really oh, good about that. To their credit, they are, they're they very are. good about when so, a customer is dissatisfied and feels like they've gotten a you know a re- reader who just was having a bad day or didn't connect yeah. with the material or wasn't paying attention and got all the details wrong. They absolutely well, refund people I'm so sure, I, to their I'm credit. Sure, I'm sure they would have refunded me. Um, but I, I use that more to illustrate the point that if it wasn't that it might just be, they have really bad taste in screenwriting, you know, in general and writing, um, <laughs> or they might be totally missing the point somewhere else. Cause they're not, I, I don't know how much they're vetted, but it doesn't seem like they're, jumping through a so, lot of what, hoops to, to get this job basically it could just be people off the street looking for a job reading these scripts almost yeah yeah i i, I don't know what their vetting system is so i don't really want to speak right. to it but 
It could be. And I, that's why, and, and, and it's not even that I want to say this is a bad model or anything. Cause I actually encourage people that want to try it to try it. If you have a hundred bucks to waste, go for it. Cause what, what else are you going to do? Sit around with your thing on your hard drive. <laughs> so I actually, it, it, this doesn't sound like an ad for it, but I actually encourage it. If you have the money, like why not? Why, why the hell but not? I would just say manage expectations, that's, right? Like that's what I'm like, trying to like, say. This is the thing. Yeah. If you get a nine, it, it, it could help you, but that doesn't mean it will. If you get nines, uh, if you get a, a one, that doesn't mean your script is bad or right. that you should give up or that you should, you know, be but discouraged. You, so do, do, don't yeah. take, don't think anything, don't take anything but real results for real results. So unless you get yeah. pro a producer, an agent, that <laughs> that's the real result. And you should 100% trust that. But if somebody says your script stinks, it might or it might not. It's hard to say. And if somebody says your script's great and it needs no changes, it probably still needs changes and it's not that great. Now, if you get an agent or a producer, trust that and run with that, you know? Um, <laughs> like that's someone um, who'll actually make the good. movie. Go that's the it. real nine or ten is is good. Ah, I, I love gonna, that, so, Jamie. I was gonna yes. say, like, has, yes. has you, yeah. you guys keep saying you get nines. Has anyone ever gotten a ten? I sure get people have gotten tens. Probably, okay. you know, probably. Yeah. Who who wants to be there? I'm sure there's a like a sign on the wall above all the readers, like no one is allowed to give a ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it means too much. It's in big yeah. letters, staring them down. No tens. No, no, I knew this was a. We kind of diverged here to something we that's sure not did. about the menu, but the. the, the Key thing but with I'm the really menu glad. is, I'm really glad. I'm really glad we. But talked the menu's about it. from this system. Well, yes. the not, menu's not the first from one. System. The first, yeah. first one. Yeah. Okay. It's, yes. it's from the other version of. But the, the I the the main thing I wanted to talk about is I really believe that a lot of newbie screenwriters think that the menu got to that list from doing what they did from the second which, one. From the second one, which is not how it works. Okay. No. So that's the distinction, and that's what needs to be made clear. And I feel like there's this confusion this in that people don't understand oh. that like that's not going to that's not how you get to the list and, at the end of the year and one other huge takeaway from the blacklist as a list not the website so the one that the menu made every year it comes out and every year if you look hard enough you can find all the scripts on it so you could have read the menu in 2019 and kind of seen what a sellable script looks mm -hmm. like it's a really good and, way to get your fingers on the pulse of like the yeah. style and the form and the voices that are that are catching people's attention right because if you read like the fableman script now it's it's a different version of the script it's the one that conforms usually to the edit and stuff like that but if you read those those blacklist scripts they very often are ones that are trying to sell. So they're what you're trying to do. And my advice, if you're going to read scripts, those are the ones you want to read, not the ones that they publish in a book or something like that. Yeah. The yeah. end of the year list. Yep. Yeah. I've yeah, already you, read a couple from this stuff. year's list. Yeah. And are they were really good? So if you are a screenwriter, you should chase this list just to, and, and read the ones you're interested in and see what kind of stuff is making noise and catching attention. Bob, thanks, thanks for thanks for letting us go for twenty minutes about that. Why you don't not even say thanks? I'm interested <laughs> in the. I, I know about. I knew about the blacklist, but I like hearing the details from you guys. And also, I like I like the fact that you have to remind people that it doesn't mean your movie's going to get made if you get a good score. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's really important. <laughs> um, there is value in it, though. 
there's value though. In those nines, yeah. Right. Um so before we got into the second blacklist, we were talking about the genres that work in the first blacklist, and you said it was biopics. Now that has nothing to do with the menu, obviously, (laughs) but it starts the conversation on which is I think a conversation I've seen had on the internet. Um what genre is this movie? Let's talk about Mm -hmm. that. Genre expectations and Woo. We can only talk yeah. about the expectations once we know what we're talking about with John. Yeah, right? <laughs> Jamie, I want to hear your take on this because I haven't heard you say a word about it, actually. So uh, yeah, in, our, in our in our chats about what genre is this movie and how it plays with genre. So you, I want to you, hear you first. You know what one it reminds me when I saw this question on our list here, I was thinking, what movies does it remind me of a little bit, like at least tonally or vibe? And the the one movie that pops into my head is Parasite. <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of and Parasite was kind of like this in some ways. It was kind of funny. It was kind of dark. It was kind of it, it avoided some, you know, characterization. But I mean, I would say dark. It, we're we're talking um blockbuster genres, right? Not um not save the cat ones. The no. Cat. We're talking <laughs> video store genres. We're Just talking about sure. the audience coming in. I mean, right. I, I do think it's a hard a horror thing a dark thriller something like that a a dark comedy in some ways i I don't know it could be any of those any of those i I would pick from how about you bob well is jamie is your hesitance to say horror comedy because it's just not that gory or it doesn't have that element to it like the now much like you bob um i didn't i came in a little cold when i watched it and i didn't get a like laugh out loud like it's satiric in mm-hmm. some ways but i didn't get the and and maybe i'm i'm just missing it but i didn't i didn't really find it like it's goal to be like really give, making me laugh as much as hmm that's clever kind of satiric okay. kind of thought like i didn't i didn't do too many belly laughs at this one even though maybe that was intended and i missed it um i would i no i mean i'd go the obvious one to go to is horror comedy, but I'm also open to just straight up dark comedy, you know? Yeah. As the video store manager, where do you right, put this? Right. Right. Well, I mean, I think at the video store, it's a little bit, you have to be really broad. This would probably go in horror. Yeah. Uh, like it just would, because you want the customers, you don't want the customers to like assume they're getting some like drama. And right. They get this thing. You know? John really... I think that's an important thing that you no, just that's, said there. That though. is, it is. That's how you, classify stuff genre really is about the audience right right it's, yeah. It's yeah. who is the audience for this yeah, yeah. you yeah. don't want and people to walk in and get mad when they walk out so yeah exactly yeah. and i feel like when we did paradise i it was so long ago i don't uh parasite i don't remember our genre conversation in that but i feel like that was one where the genre was shifting it was shifting yeah. Yeah. and and it was carrying on the genres that it had established and then turning into something else while maintaining those other genres i feel like your comparison jamie to parasite is really perfect because parasite is in a is a eat the rich satire right like it's it's a it, it's it classism is classism it's it's it's, it's, yeah. it's playing with exactly the same like paints and expectations and you know things that they're making pointing fun of and mocking um about the rich and um it it actually do you watch white lotus there's something about the that reminds me a little bit of white lotus too white lotus isn't as dark as this it never goes to like this kind of gotcha blood and gore no one gets that on counts. fire 
<laughs> yeah, but there's some kind of vibe with it where it's funny, where you kind of have a smirk on your face watching it, but it's yeah. not like jokey funny yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. The, this, movie, um, this movie doesn't have jokes, except maybe the line about student loans like uh, that. You know what I mean? Like there's that. But I, uh, the movie doesn't. I mean, it definitely jokes. makes you laugh constantly. I think it's um, funny. like it's also, I laughed my ass off at when, this when, movie, just I, like Barbara. I think right, any right. movie with John Leguizamo or whatever right. is, is a comedy in some ways. No, I guess I guess. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. I was going to say my only criticism of the movie, honestly, is he's not playing himself and that the movie that Ray Fiennes watches that makes them choose him is not yeah. Super Mario Brothers. Like, I just, <laughs> wish, right, right. I just wish that that was what happened in the movie. And that's it. Go ahead, Jamie, oh, man. No, Go but I, I I guess I was going to bring up like, I think it's one of two options, right? Is it a shifting genres movie or is it because Jamie, what it made me think of um and that's why i went i'm gonna go into like that document i sent you guys um I, that when i went into the second viewing i was kind of looking through it to to try to really pay attention to the genre delivery right mm -hmm. um is it shifting genres like we just talked to and then when the guy blows his brains out it becomes a full-on monster in the house horror movie because i do think this fits we didn't put it on talking points and we're not going to really go into it but i do think this is a trap with a monster with a sin like i feel like it fits all the monster in the house you know requirements and and the things that we usually get out of a monster in the house experience especially start once once they all know they're gonna die which is 42 minutes in um Is so two minutes when when the suicide happens yeah and i and i okay. when we get into the structure we can talk about lock-in and stuff and debate right, right. that because i think there's some interesting things to go on but but or is it B, is it actually a slow burn horror? Because you talk about, Jamie, it reminded me um, of how you talk about a lot of horror movies sort of bury the monster lead in that, mm -hmm. like, we're sort of experiencing for, like, the first half of the movie no, not much actual visible. Mm -hmm. We're not really getting terror or gross out, but we're getting dread dread in all say, dread. sorts of forms and until that midpoint when bam the monster comes out and then we're it's a full-on like lots more terror lots more gross out you know and i feel like this experience is just like that where it's like just filled with 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 little drip drippings of dread consistently um and then once that the the brains are blown out we're getting terror jump scare Gross I mean, out, terror, jump scare, gross out, dread. We're getting a, a horror movie through and through. So I, I mean, not too different, <clears throat> excuse me, than like Barbarian, I guess. And that that's why, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little bit, right? <laughs> but you know what else? You know what other movies kind of come to mind? Like like Barbarian, it feels like it's going to be um, a dark thriller, uh, or I mean, a, a horror movie almost from the beginning. Like it's a different horror movie than the one we expected, or something. But I guess it could be a psychological thriller or something like that um once the monster shows up it's a very different horror movie mm -hmm. like it even shifts its horror genres in some ways mm -hmm. but this one this one when it started i was like well maybe it's going to be more like um what's the jason bateman the, the gift did you ever see the gift or oh, something yeah, yeah. like that yeah maybe I, I, in the beginning i thought maybe it was more a movie like that you know like mm. like it's it's horror thriller something dark you know and it's yeah and it's gonna be intriguing 
But then it did take the shift into, uh, for better or worse, and I think better, the B movie level, like now we're killing ourselves and, you know, yeah, we're going to turn God. you all into s'mores in the end, which, <laughs> which was a little midsummery to me, you know, yeah, very, much, very, very much, very, very much. Yeah. Um, and, 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 um, God, I wish I had looked it up. Um, Jill watched it with me because I was like, what is this thing? Like, it felt so much like Midsommar, like in so many ways. And I was like, and then I could point to other movies that are playing with those same sort of eat the rich, all this stuff. And Jill was like, I was like, there's got to be a fable somewhere that all of these like writers are being like responding to and inspired by that's been in our human culture forever that I just don't know about. And she's like, yeah, it's Sodom and Gomorrah, which I don't know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, but she, when she, when she was done, when she went through it, I was like, Oh my God, like you just put all the beats of, of this and Midsommar and stuff. And, um, Sodom and Gomorrah. I was like, okay, cool. But, um, the, uh, the, the other thing it reminded me of, because we're talking about genre, is it, it felt very much like Jurassic Park. Like I almost think there's an argument <laughs> from our shows, from our show standpoint and the techniques we talk about. I almost think there's an argument to be made that this is Jurassic Park with a new skin. Like this is uh, like, what if they go to uh, an island? <laughs> what if, what if the, what if the, you know, what if the the people who are paying money, super expensive uh, tickets instead of going for the experience of seeing dinosaurs in a cage, they're going to the, 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 the experience they're going for is a bunch of exotic to uh, eat to menu to eat to items. Yeah. That they could only get by coming to this Island, this, this like Jurassic park with foodie resort paint is the menu. <laughs> and, it sounds like a sequel to Jurassic Park called Dinosaurs on the Menu. Like there'll be a restaurant where you eat no, like, like T Rex dinosaur <laughs> burger. They they yeah. take it. They take a boat to get there. They 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 they're they're stranded. Now uh, I just want to put the Jurassic Park music over the opening of the menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. then and then and then it isn't until the in the midpoint. You're, and it isn't until the midpoint that the dinosaurs come out and shit goes and and shit hits the fan and all the rides that all the dinosaurs that they were that the audience was expecting to see and the people who, the characters in the movie were there to be excited about are killing them. So like it's very it's so very... like so like <laughs> the the guy committing suicide is like almost like the T Rex attack sort of yes exactly wow yeah I mean it's not it does track it, it happens tracks. almost at I'll the say exact same tracks. time in the movie it tracks <laughs> so anyway I I. I I don't know for me, like, so second time going through and I sent you guys this list. I'm not going to read it for the, for the listeners. I did a massive book report where I went through the first, I went through every moment until I believe it becomes a full on horror movie, which is 42 minutes when the guy blows his brains out. And there's not, there's not one minute starting from when, uh, when Margot is not on the guest list and there's tension from Elsa, there's dread, like, like, Elsa kind of looks a little dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. um, that like she gives a hint of sinisterness and there's dread there. Um, that is six minutes in. From six minutes to when uh, Jeremy blows his brains out at 42 minutes, there isn't more than one minute that goes by where there isn't either dread. Um, there's terror, jump scare. Like every time the, she the chef claps, it's a jump mm -hmm. scare. So it's right. terror. Um, and, and it's in the midst of all this dread. So it 
it lands like a little bit of a jump scare. The glass on the floor, like when when Tyler is reaching to get Margot's food and the glass falls on the floor, it functions like a jump scare, right? So I, um, I think looking back- You're also scared of how they're going to react to glass breaking. You know what exa- I mean? Exactly. Like oh that, shit, yeah, like yeah. chef, what's he gonna do? They've ruined, like they ruined the waited. evening, yeah. And, and in the first half, they're doing a great job. If you if you watch it for studying to see like it, how it's using horror, um these these dread terror gross out that we talk about in our horror episodes um every single time it plants dread since it's it's burying it doesn't want you to it doesn't want the monsters to come out yet right well but go ahead yeah no i keep going finish your thoughts every single time we are made to feel like chef is gonna lose his shit and this is the moment where somebody's gonna get killed they they land a joke right there's a joke Every single time we're like, oh, my God, I think this is a horror movie. And I think that shit's about to go bad. A joke happens and the chef's like, it's OK. It's OK, Tyler. It's perfectly all right. Like, I don't worry. You can interrupt me. Horror like- and comedy <laughs> have a lot in common. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. go ahead, Jamie. Yeah. So um, just to jump down, because I think this relates to it, uh, the, the tension, the types of tension. Mm-hmm. And um what happens often, especially in the setup of a movie or the first act, before there's there's this dramatic tension. So tension is kind of the fuel for what keeps us going. It's kind of an, an instability that we need to be stable again. Like we're instable and Ooh, we that's need a good way to put it. Search for I think I, I stole it from lessons from a screenplay. They have a really good thing on um Inglorious Bastards. Um, but so there's this kind of instability. I I describe it in my book as an itch that needs to be scratched, but it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. You plant something and you know, it just has somebody unsettled. Once the story kicks in, like in this story, you could, if you say the lock in, which we'll talk about in a second is something like, will they survive or won't they? That doesn't really kick in to like how many minutes in 42 minutes. Yeah. But I have, I have a debate about an earlier on, but okay. Wait, so that's a long time. If if you get to will they survive, won't they? So in order to fill those that spot and keep people interested and engaged, you have to give them other types of tension. And you know we've listed uh, like five, I guess five types of is it six types of tension? There's um six six uh, mystery. Uh, mystery is is a very common one. Like what's going on here? Is you know what's the bigger picture? Why are why are these things happening and and things like that? Um, and we'll talk about that red flag uh, thing in a second too. Uh, cinematic is another kind. Sometimes it's just in the way it's shot. Like you know, imagine if all the behind. menu item, all the courses are beautiful to behold. They're cinematic, right. yeah. Right. And, and no, it could a lot even, of execution here that makes it dread. I mean, it, like, it's not not just the page. Like right? you could have a yeah, story right. and and not show something with the camera, and that would give you tons of tension. Right. It's like if they were they were constantly like talking to somebody and you didn't show the person or something. There's there's all kinds of <laughs> well, it's, to do. It's also like just the aesthetics time. of like that giant door slamming or closing yes. shut yep. stuff. Yeah. Like that's not no, that that's, might, that's, that's perfect probably, but that's that is perfect. A visual that gives you absolute dread. Right. Yeah. After Margot's eyes. And right? to your point, yeah, she's the only one who notices who, uh, that it's yeah, guarded and that yeah. Elsa locks it, which is definitely dread and definitely intentionally meant to make us feel like she's well, a little concerned, right? <laughs> Our dread is through her pretty much. Yes. The other characters yes. are kind of oblivious. Um, yes. Yeah. 
Right. And then no worries. No worries. That's great. That's great examples. Um, And then there's not as much in this, I guess there's romantic tension. Uh, Well, you have, you have stated when you've said romantic, you've, you've slashed that with combined with just relationship in general. Relationship. And I feel like every Mm -hmm. single, like, I feel like all these types of tension that you describe every Mm -hmm. single time a new dish is introduced we get all of these things like those tensions are all there. Curiosity, fear, yep. mystery, poetic with the way he's describing the dish, mm-hmm. uh, cinematic mm-hmm. with the way it's being like presented Films. and yeah. delivered. And and then each table has its own relationship tension going on as they're eating it. So th- so all they're playing with all six of those constantly. It's, it's a it's a good point, because even Margo and Ty- Tyler, they have a sort a sort of uh, romantic tension. It's, a, mm-hmm. you know, certainly a fractured it's, one. Yes. Um, yeah. And and the the husband and wife, you know, pairing and stuff like that. They have mm-hmm. relationships. And, and the movie star and his. And, 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 yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, the, yeah, you're right. You're right. They all have that. Um, but then there's curiosity. Curiosity could be as simple as like. They're going to an island. What is this island? Why are they here? Who are these people? That simple stuff like that can be curiosity as well. Um, and then fear and suspense are obvious choices in this one too. So it's loaded. It's like jacked up with all kinds of tension. And as long as a movie has that or a story has that, it'll get us to a late lock-in. If there is one, we can debate that in a second. Um and uh, it'll it'll get us to the late lock-in. The the only other thing I wanted to mention, we brought up red flag a red flag resume in Barbarian, and it was something that we sort of invented because of Barbarian. Um, I love it, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, Barbarian was uh, the the writer said that he was reading a book, and this book had all these red flags about if you meet some guy and and your woman, like what are all the red flags? And he just wrote them into the script, and I <laughs> I, right. I think. I think it was a good instructive thing. Like what would be the red flags of danger here? Can you subtly put them in the script without letting people tie tie together exactly what's happening, but just kind of put all these little red flags along the way. And um, Jimmy, that document you had, I think listed most of the red flags. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Tyler has an immense red flag resume. Um, her, you know, her date. Um the chef has his own red flag resume and so does Elsa, right? Like Elsa is constantly a source of like, this lady is about to blow up on these people. And what's that going to look like, right? Like she can't, she can't be trusted that I'm safe in her presence. You know, you could, you can, you could almost argue just like the Island itself has its own red, has flag. Its own red flag. Yeah. 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 And, the whole, and the process, like the fact that the boat leaves. The, yeah. That, that's no, a huge. red flag, right? Huge like, red flag. Yeah. yeah and, right. and, you know, the, the scene, the scene in the smokehouse where they're describing the 152 days and of curing. And then she says, what happens the, yeah. if it's 153? And she's like, oh yeah, it'll just kill you all. And, you know, but, but it's a good thing. We ha- know what we're doing. The, the door being shut behind them, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. What, what's going on here? <laughs> There's red I'm, flags galore. The, the mother at the table a little bit. Like, what mm-hmm. is, it's weird. It's it's like there's awkwardness <laughs> yeah. to it. Yeah. Who's that, like, sad old lady in the sad corner? Old lady. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the fact that they're so worried about who Margot is also, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's yeah. such a focus on. And since we know, you know she's an outsider, it's double down on that, right? Like, mm-hmm. we already know she's an outsider, and they are particularly concerned with that. Yeah. Yep. 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 So anyway. Jamie, do you want to you just jump into the log line discussion and just go with sure. it? Let's just go sure. with it. Sure, sure. 
So when we talk about log lines, you know, when I ever break down a log line, when I'm analyzing a movie, um, I'm always searching for the lock-in. And my, and my log lines are more to diagnose the story and less to be marketing, because there's all kinds of ways you can market that cheat the rules and do all kinds of stuff. So the first thing I'm always looking for when I come up with the log line is what's the lock-in of this movie? And that's the thing that's a little up for debate. And when I say the lock-in, the lock-in usually has a hero with a goal, obstacle and stakes. So if you, if you said like Indiana Jones must find the lost Ark of the covenant, um, Nazis and mystery are in the way. And the stakes are, if the Nazis get it, they'll win the war, take over the world. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Like, when is the moment? What is that thing that's specific to the story of this movie? And when does it happen is kind of what the when isn't as important. But what do you think is the thing when we realize, oh, I know who the hero is. I know what their goal is. I know what their obstacle is. And I know what the stakes. And I have to say for this movie, I'm not entirely sold that it's it's an arch plot one single hero one goal one you know i'm not i'm not it to me this movie is a little loose which is why it's not as much of a cheeseburger and maybe more of a mini plot or um you know kind of a a sort of i don't want to say art house movie but you know something other than a cheeseburger because i don't think it's 100 percent I know it's this thing, um, but what do you what do you guys think? I, well, I guess my question for you, I mean, you don't think I mean, like when you say that you don't feel that Margot is the obvious protagonist I, there. I, I mean, I would raise my hand as she's the thing to bet money on. Um, right. Uh, uh, she is the one I'd pick of the ones, but it's not as clearly um, her. I, I think here's the thing with me with this movie is I feel like there's a lot of sitting around and enduring the stuff, the torture, mm -hmm. and there's not as much active, like even the things where they do try to be active a little bit, they generally get shut down um, pretty quickly, I think. And they sort of endure the the meal as opposed to the, the, the night, as opposed <laughs> to like really try to escape it like so which is noted by the actual antagonist yeah so so that yeah. to me i agree with you and this isn't really uh, uh this i'm is, gonna get a, a go, go, go ahead yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, I have was, something to say about this i was too, gonna actually. say yeah this this isn't really a critique i just think this is why to me it's more mini plot than arch plot or something I, it, gotcha. it might not be on this subject but i think it's actually thematic that thematic they, yeah bob i completely agree with you because i think it's, it's talking about classism even a little bit about race mm -hmm. um, absolutely the fact that leguizamo is the only one that says we should fight back and all the other rich white people are kind of like what do we do that's They're not used so to that. that is very that's that's the intentional it's right? a, no it's like, very intentional like because because yeah, they because yeah. i mean it they it's funny because i actually think you know, I'm a 40 year old privileged white guy. This is this is a theme discussion. We, and we don't have to go heavy into it. We are I'm all a, old white dudes. I'm a 42 year old privileged white guy, so I'm I'm saying that up front. So yeah. apologies if this if if people roll their eyes at this, but they have the villain quote Martin Luther King, and when a privileged white dude quotes Martin Luther King for their to prove their point, it's always and rightfully so met with like are you serious right now right. however i think in this case what he was saying was accurate 
And all of the people in the room were so privileged themselves that they weren't even they didn't even have the capacity to listen to what he was saying. Exactly. He's literally saying all of you could have defeated us, but you're so used to being in power that you've never had to fight for anything in your life. So you don't even know how to fight back. That's how fucking pathetic you are, is what he's saying. And that's why, like, John Linguizamo being, like, yeah, one yeah. of the person. And there is a black man at the table, and they don't – they chose not to I, explore I, that. I feel, like, I feel like the young rich dudes are – it kind of – the fact that they're young kind of negates what we're talking about right now. But Linguizamo's character, he's, like – I think Linguizamo himself is 60-ish. He's, like, yeah, 60. Yeah. He's – he, before he was an actor, he probably experienced actually a actual, lot of marginalization. Right, right he had right, to fight yeah. for everything. Right, he yes. he, he was oppressed. He was right. he was on the other side of the table. So right? him saying like, something is perfect because that it's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. And I I think the movie like Jamie like I think you're right. They don't fight back. They do endure. But I think it's because of who they are. Like, and that is like the point. Like he chose people who wouldn't fight back, and he's like challenging them like to you know but he knows like they're they're too privileged they've never experienced oppression and Margot, that's why she's able to navigate this situation and survive because she is a person who hasn't been on that side of it and has been you know you know she comes from like a trailer park and you know her she's whole life had has been fighting for everything yeah, right. for her life so she, yeah. that's why it she's the only one who there in in the in the building in the situation who even had the capacity to escape this based on like her makeup so anyway, but going back to the log line thing, it's funny that Jay, Bob and I are both like agreeing Sorry, with you, Jamie, we got excited, and it's, and it's not yeah. a problem for us. We're like, yeah, no. like they they fucking suck. And that's like that's why he was like, we need to be you need to be cleansed, you know, like is all part of the menu. Um, they were specifically chosen ingredients to this experience. Um, <laughs> right. That's why Margot shouldn't be there, you know, because um, she's someone who he knows has the capacity to fight back and he's got to you know, do some curveballs. But anyway, um, what I wanted to ask you guys was, okay, so what it reminded me of, Jamie, because you're talking about like, um, what it reminded me of a lot when it, we're talking about the goal and stuff, um, you know, the the log line is get out in that like, uh, Chris is brought to this destination. He's with a family of rich people rich white people he's the outsider in the situation and it isn't until um the other uh black man at the place that you know who's been brainwashed uh you know who's had his brain taken over uh says get out that chris becomes aware of of the of the primal nature of the danger and that's not until the midpoint of get out now there is a traditional lock-in like 25 percent with the the sunken place and and him being hypnotized by the mom and that happens like 25 percent. but i'm just it's it's interesting because like for the first half of get out we have the same question that we have by the end which is is chris gonna make it out of this weekend unscathed right and then it changes when we learn like is chris gonna make it out of this situation alive and it felt very similar to margo like i always felt like is margo gonna make it through this situation unscathed because she's an outsider right, and then it right. changes to a very primal version of that question so i feel like there is that i think what makes it a little 
hard to peg down like from like your your stand your story dna J- jamie that you always talk about is that we're not given any information about her like we are in a standard cheeseburger and mm-hmm. i'm going to speak to this at the end when i have some deleted scenes that makes for very interesting i think choices that they made it isn't until that that bathroom scene when he locks her in and he starts asking her questions that we learn anything about her right and right, that right, sense right. of complete blank you know complete mystery about who she is um makes her a very like un unusual hero for a story right like like even even our like because she was silent... who the audience thought she was right right like, right. Yeah, like right. we we're we know so little about her and you know in most of these movies we're talking about within like 10 minutes you know everything about these characters that you need to know to like root for them well to survive I, this, it's, yeah. it's one of those weird things where if you withhold a lot of information from a main hero and this can be a problem right it yep. could be the thing where the you talk about it all the time where the like they could have sprung a secret that she a hero had with a mystery else. agenda, like, right? And yeah. I thought it was going there, Jamie. And, yeah. and then we would have been like, ah, they tricked us again, and is well, it that's fun? The audience and, contract violation. And and but you kind of sense that when you watch something, you're like, oh, they're keeping her a mystery, so she's really not. She's this other, you know. There's something does, going on. Does but that then feel like a rewrite to you almost? Like there's part of me that when I watched the first time, I was like, <laughs> I could see. The history of Margot's character being shown to us first, and then okay, we, so and then she gets invited on the date. All right, so we get it. We get like a sense of who she is as a person. Mm-hmm. I'll skip to like it, that. and we'll go, and because just because we're talking about it right now, and then like we can get back to the lock in. So in the script, there are three deleted Margot conversations in the first half. Really, okay. three, and on page ten on the boat ride, Tyler and Margot Margot chat a little. And we get a half page of Tyler asking her if she truly loves what she does for a living. And it's only like a half page. They don't tell you what she does, but there's enough to create more intrigue about who she is. And she does something for a living that is worth thinking about. Like she's think having to question like the morals and values of what she does for a living right, okay. in, in this scene on the page. Then at page 22, when the first meal is uh, being served, um, they we get another page dialogue scene that is just about Margot Tyler talking about Margot Margot's past. Even though it turns out to be a lie, it's still painting her as a blue collar person in the rich setting and goes into her feelings about being an outsider in this setting. And it gives you one more page, one more minute with that where we're creating that deeper things that need fixing, right? And then there's an when the second course is served, we get another one page dialogue scene. And this is the shooting draft, so it's really interesting. Um, we get another one-page dialogue scene where, again, Tyler is talking about Margot's background, and we're getting more details about her as a person. So the script has three pages of dialogue that give you more deeper, more traditional arc plot character background of your hero that in the final cut they decided to leave that out and create instead of mystery around her. So, so it makes her feel like less of a traditional heroine. As a, I think as a it's result. the right choice. Honestly. I think it's the right choice too, but it's interesting yeah. to see that even in the shooting script, there are three scenes that really play more like a traditional arc plot story when right, it comes right. to her character. So also yeah. like, also like, I think the mystery of just 
that Tyler and her knowing each other, like we don't understand the relationship with the scenes you're talking about. We would understand that they kind of don't know each other. Yeah, we don't know how exactly. close they are. No, and that's point. it. it right. Paints a it paints a more right. clearer picture of their relationship, which I think takes away some of the tension, right? Like, right. Yes. So it's the, interesting. The curiosity and the mystery, stuff and the moment we about. find out why he the brought reality, her there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 all that gets diminished if you add in those three dialogue scenes that were in the script. So yeah. it's but interesting. I would also say, though, that's the part to me that when I watched the movie in the beginning, before it gets to the middle, I'm not exactly sure she's the hero of the story. You know, it could be Tyler. It could be a two-hander. It could be. It seems like those two are definitely there. But You're it's, saying it's missing those cheeseburger ingredients. To, to clue me in, to, oh, she's more important yep. than these other people. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, I get that she's the outsider, but I feel like that's just her role in some ways. Gotcha. I don't um, know, Jamie, I kind of don't know if I feel the same, though. I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not one to argue with Jamie. Almost, but, <laughs> I love like, it. But I feel these like... are the two that ended up arguing, not me. <laughs> not, not you. But no, I feel like there's there's a concentration on her. And from I'm the sitting very here agreeing with I think, the blood sucking but... lawyer. <laughs> right. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, like, not just the filmmaking, but like, it's her, you know, Hong Chow, like when she's like, you know, says her name and she gets as that pause and everything. The movie's focusing from her point of view for me. I, I, you know what I mean? Like, the first half well, gives me that. And I, I mean, there are other things in her. Everybody else is kind of an asshole, but she's kind of us. Like she's <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's the, the audience surrogate. She, she, can, she can roll it. So she has a rooting resume in that regard. There are boxes yeah. she ticks. Yeah, she oh, she's got a sense of humor. This I almost did she it. She thinks because, this is bullshit. Yeah. She thinks that this is bullshit, and yeah. that's us, right? right. We, that's us. That's like, us. part of your standard rooting resume, Jamie, is the excluded outsider. Mm-hmm. Which she see, is like I can see a movie where Tyler becomes the hero in a different script entirely, <laughs> but he'd have to have a huge arc. <laughs> right, you know, like right. you have to learn that this is bullshit himself or something. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's anyway, hard to put it, down, man. It's yeah, no, it, that's yeah. why it's interesting, right? No, but I guess back to the back to the lock in, right, where it, it becomes mm-hmm. that standard story DNA. Mm-hmm. So, so my question for you was. At 36 minutes is when Margot is really starting to get clued into the sinister nature of everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so she's had all this dread. And now she's starting to take that dread way more serious as things continue to escalate. And since she's more aware of, you know, the everyday dangers of life compared to everybody else, mm-hmm. she picks up and she tries. That's when she runs from the table and that and tries to leave and she can't get out the silver door and then she goes in the bathroom and she tries to get out the window and she sees that she can't fit out the window and then he chef comes in and locks the door behind her that's 36 minutes so that's six minutes before the head blown up and that's not that far Mm -hmm. off from your standard lock-in right so my question is is that actually the lock-in because from that moment on she's in survival mode right like And that's only 36 minutes. So it's pretty early. Um, Yeah. And even the, the, you know, the BS log line that I kind of came up with. (laughs) And it was like, um, I just used the tip, you know, I I use the, you know, after a catalyst hero must overcome obstacles to achieve goal or else stakes. And it was like, it was like after, after realizing they are going to be killed as a part of a psychotic chef's deranged dinner service at a remote Island restaurant, 
A woman must find a way to escape her server captives or else die with the other rich assholes she'll be targeted with or something like that, you know? So after realizing is very vague, you know, so it could, it could certainly be the moment you're saying, you know, that's kind yeah, of well, after realizing she's, yeah, I mean, I mean, he walked in a woman's bathroom to lock the door behind to him. basically give her a, a tongue lashing. Right. Like, so mm -hmm. yeah, like. Mm -hmm. And he won't let her leave and she can't fit out the window and she knows she can't escape the actual dining hall. Right. Oh, that's, red that's, flag. that's the red flag. Yeah, right that's there. and that's yeah. that's only 36 minutes in. So, I mean, the, the, it's it's almost it's a hundred and three minute movie. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Like, so I, I mean, that it totally fits with what I'm saying. I it, I think it I think that's it's, it's when like, she realizes she's in trouble is really when the lock is in it, is. It's like the Margot lock in and then like. The movie lock the red the, the it, rest of it is yeah the, is yeah the suicide and then, yeah which is only six minutes later 42 right, minutes right from 42 minutes on it functions in my opinion like a monster in the house through and through it's um, it's a weird thing though because it's like if i view it in a save the and i didn't do this i'm doing this now <laughs> but if, if i view it in like a save the cat kind of style and i say when's the catalyst what's the thing that triggers her to really say i need to get out it could be that and then the break into two is the when he shoots himself, and then it's like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but there might be a moment before that that you could deem the catalyst. It's debatable. Yeah, the whole thing's so tense, you know. Yep, yep. And she so. and she just she personally wants to leave just out of her own taste. Yeah, exactly. Like, Get me out of this place. Be there. Like, yeah, she doesn't want to be there. It's I, what I'm saying is like it's not just a horror she wants to leave. It's like <laughs> get me out of this situation. Um, we kind of jumped around, guys. We did. We <laughs> Speaking did. Speaking of transitions okay. that are smooth, where are we now? I we, think we're we... on we're on premise pretzels because okay. we've covered everything before. We've covered that. everything before yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We we circled around the cheeseburger discussion, and maybe we can bring it on to the end when I actually talk about the that's kind of what I was wondering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much cheeseburger talk. All right, premise pretzels. <laughs> yeah, Jamie, I just like hearing you do this this uh technique talk about this technique so i put it on here for that and also because i think there's a great example you want to explain premise pretzels yeah sure thing so a premise pretzel is it's really another form of setup payoff it's kind of like setup payoff 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 or something like mm -hmm. that is that's the, a great way pretzels. to put it yeah so um what a premise pretzel is kind of referring to is the fact that you can have more than one style of payoff and you have to look at the payoff payoffs from all sides so if you if you set something up like um what, what's a what's a good example setup which one do we always use i i can't remember oh a uh, predator right isn't that the one we <laughs> oh, always yeah. use you there's kinda, so many <laughs> there's so many yeah, yeah. the predator is good Pre predator is a good one because you have something like the fact that the uh, predator can see can, uh, can't see i'm sorry what it's it's uh they can't see the predator and then later on arnold does something where the predator can't see him it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like twisting your payoffs in two directions or reversing the expectations of of something yeah. um so 
So if you take something, always, always try to do the reverse of it and then try to do like the inverse of that and stuff like that. And that's what a premise pretzel generally refers to. Yeah, we talk about how like, you know, a lot of times we're, we're, we're this show is a monument to the whiteboard and the idea generation process and like spitting out as many ideas as you can think of uh, people, places, things, scenarios and dialogue that deliver on your premise. And a lot of times what I see and, you know, I've done this myself plenty um, when I when I'm reading my client scripts, uh, amateur scripts who are people who are just starting out and learning the craft is they'll have a script that's chock full of ideas, but they only use it once. It's a, it's like, it's filled with ideas. The ideas are good, but they're just never reusing the ideas and playing with them in a variety of ways. And movies that we love and movies that pro scripts, they find a way to take an idea that they, that they love and do multiple things with it and make it work on multiple levels. And, uh, like a, my favorite recent example that we've talked about uh, a couple, like a year ago was the Ghostbusters Afterlife with Muncher. Whereas Muncher is a ghost that they uh, that eats metal and they trap him in the ghost trap. And then when they're in prison and all of their gear is is locked up and they have to get it out of the cage instead of doing your standard uh, cliche having the genius scientist like you know pick pick the lock of the of the prison cage that's got all of the ghostbusters gear including the trap they reach in and open the trap with muncher inside that we saw them trap earlier and he chews through the metal (laughs) and they can get all their gear and that's a great example of taking an idea and then twisting it around and doing the reverse of it to 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 give give us something that is like unique and special to the movie that we can never see anywhere else. And like my favorite one in this movie, and there's a bunch of premise pretzels in this movie. Um, the clap is one that we'll talk about later. Yep. But uh, yeah. um, the calling Doctor Sunshine. This is like my favorite type of when somebody does a premise pretzel, which is like. When it's introduced to us, it's kind of played like it's not a big deal, right? It's like a single joke, right? He's got a tortilla. Uh, John Lugazamo's character gets a tortilla, and on it is a movie poster uh, with him. Should and, have been and, Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, what is that? And he's he's like, she's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that movie. He's like, yeah, dumb part, bad script, fun <laughs> shoot, right? So it's played like a joke, right? And we don't think anything more of it then though they bring it back and you learn that that movie is the reason that chef chose him to be a part of this experience and why he believes this is why he deserves to die (laughs) he says the memory of your face in that film and seeing you again now haunts me what becomes of an artist when he loses his purpose which is also thematic you know, it's it's the to, whole to how he feels about to how himself, yeah about right. himself and why he's doing this, and so it it works on a deeper level. And then they bring it back a third time when they give all of as part of the experience, they give all the guests a glimmer of false hope <laughs> that they're going to escape yeah. by having uh, the movie John Leguizamo's character think that this Coast Guard guy is such a fan of his that he loves this movie that he's that that the chef brought him there to kill him as a result of and it's just great it's just great um, and so that's this is if you're looking for ways to understand how to take an idea and do something 
more with it multiple times in a movie. I think the calling Dr. Sunshine is a great example of how to do that. So I, I, it stuck out to me. That was like the thing I was most excited to talk about is this calling Dr. Well, Sunshine. Well, it's like, guy. like you said, it's not a throwaway thing. They use it so much later. There's it's, nothing it, throwaway. That's the right. point. Yeah. 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 And yeah. if you can try to make, if you can try to come up with, like you said, Jamie, you've said many times, like everything's set up payoff, right? If you can try to find a way where all the ideas you're putting on there, everything on the scene is going to come back in some little way. That's when you know you have a good idea, right? That's when you know you when you've got like five things on the page, which one am I going to choose to put in my script? If there's one that you can make it do four other things, that's the one you want to do. So anyway, and this tracks for every table. Yes, there's something at every table that comes back, comes back started out as sort of a little joke or a conversation. Right. And back. and often, like you said, like it's it's uh, it's played like a one off joke. And then we realize and then it comes it's back in a that. more serious way, in a more thematic way. Yeah. Like the so. like the, the stock guys talking about their boss and everything. And then eventually we see. Oh, my God. They play with that. Like, right. yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. They play yeah. a lot. Um. Did we talk about cheeseburgers first five course meals? Did you guys want to go back to that? Do you want to go, Jamie? Go for it. I, I feel like I, we, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, and we we often talk. We kind of hinted at it earlier, uh, but cheeseburgers tend to be like our general word for um, kind of movies for everybody, right? Marvel anybody movies. can kind of watch Marvel movies. Marvel movies. Everybody likes the, the bread and butter of this show to use another food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, I'm we're really there, hungry guys. Where where there are some movies that either you have to be in the right mood for, or, or you have to be the right audience for, and they're your more, your five course meal kind of, kind of things. They're your You're not going to relax with hereditary. Right. And, and my <laughs> My my question to this one, not that it really matters too much, is this a five course meal or is this a cheeseburger? And um, mm. and I, you know, is this a movie for everyone or is this uh, a cheeseburger? You know, which is, is what a, the movie itself is is <laughs> literally is, is, thematically asking. Everyone. Yeah, asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I. It's funny because uh, first half first half through, I was like, this is a. This is this is a five course meal, right? But then, when it all came together, what it actually was, I feel like it's like barbarian, um, a cheeseburger that's just all the parts are put together a little differently. But the when deconstructed you bite, cheeseburger, yeah. But when you bite into it, it still tastes like a Big Mac. It's a, um, it's a fancy and, cheeseburger, and fancy, I think, yeah. and I th yeah, like <laughs> it's a fancy cheeseburger because gourmet like, cheeseburger. Because I think, like you know, the one thing that's setting it apart more than anything else is that weird um, introduction to Margot's character in the first half, which is we are given so little, and we're, we're kept so in the dark about who she is, what her background is, all that, and that's really like imagine Back to the Future if we didn't know anything about Marty when he gets stuck in 1955 like what is that movie here's some guy i don't even know who he is or, or why you know, what he's, bad, what he's right. capable of what his skills are what is he why but he's here in the in the in the past you know like so it, i think like that part of it is very not a cheeseburger but everything else is like a cheeseburger so yeah i don't know i i think i think it's more like a of the barbarian jamie where you you in barbarian you talked about how like they know that we love cheeseburgers and they're playing with that in a way to be like, 
I'm going to surprise you by giving you a cheeseburger all along. <laughs> and they feel. actually do yeah. in this movie. <laughs> yeah, they actually give you a cheeseburger. Yeah, like I'll give you I'll give you some lines if you, if you want can I look can that's I read what, some well, of the lines? Jamie, Go ahead, Bob. At the beginning you sort of posited this, right? Like are you saying that you feel it's a cheeseburger? I just wanted to clarify that for the audience. I feel like I, earlier you were saying no. No, are you saying no? Yeah. No, it's it's a strange one because I, I actually think in some ways it is because mini plot, like it feels like it could be mini plot at times to me because it feels like like it doesn't have a ton of cause effect to it. Right. It's just like episodic. It's kind of like this This is kind of, you know, it's it's basically we go through all the courses of the meal and nothing really gets interrupted or changed. We're just kind of enduring the courses of the meal. There's mm -hmm. some attempts of escape, but not a ton because like she's kind of trapped and th there's no strength in numbers because of the things you said, you know, it's like nobody's <laughs> rising up to fight them. Right. So that a cheeseburger typically probably would have more of that. They would probably be like, let's grab the knives and go after them or, you know, something. I think a cheeseburger um, would have a logical approach to how they could get out of the situation. Like you yeah. have to kill the chef. And once we cut the head off the snake and then we can, you know what I mean? Somebody would say something like that, but that didn't but, happen. But it mm -hmm. does. That's true. It you does know. tricks that, ticket in the favor of the cheeseburger it's it's not ambiguous it's pretty clear what you know there's a resolute ending the hero gets away um not that the hero has to get away in a cheeseburger but it, it has a kind of cathartic ending in a weird sort of way um and even though it it is episodic it has kind of a and you mentioned this an unconventional ticking clock which we could talk mm -hmm. about in a second which the menu course is kind of pull us through so it doesn't yep. feel like where is this going you know why we know this... when the menu's over because we know when the menu's yeah. over and it yeah. keeps and each one keeps increasing the tension it keeps ratcheting it up and ratcheting it up and that's really what we want from a movie is a kind of tension trajectory in some ways that makes us feel like we're getting toward the end so i think it kind of pulls off all the cheeseburgery things um i know i know like um i've watched this with my wife and she was she was totally engaged by it and and i she's not the type of person that would go in for some of the weirder kind of surreal yeah you know, and to your point jamie i watched this with jill who absolutely hates it. i i feel so bad for like i've taken because of what i do we've been to so many film festivals together and she sat through so many really bad experimental anti-plot movies that drive her insane mm -hmm. so she hates anti-plot she does not want right, the five right. course meal she wants yeah. the cheeseburger and right? this, didn't, this and probably she, didn't annoy her at all she right? loved this movie yeah. more than i did mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. oh, yeah wow. okay yeah 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 like yeah. It, it it's not i wouldn't say this movie's weird like just no like i'm saying if like my mom asked me sh sh should i watch if my aunt they'd be like is that a weird movie i'd be like no you'll you'll get it it's you're it's comprehensive you know what i mean it's not like yeah. you're gonna you're gonna watch like a david lynch movie or something like that yeah we talked about you know. bob you said this on the barbarian episode you said uh like people are like Bar it's wild man it's wild and you're like it's really not wild unless you're like a cheeseburger audience member, right? If you only like, watch <laughs> Marvel movies, Barbarian is wild. If you only watch Marvel movies, the menu, menu might be wild. is wild. Wild, right? but it's yeah. not really that wild. Like, yeah, exactly. it's kind of what we're getting at. Like, yeah, the way it plays with genre yeah. and tone is not that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Weird. We're not saying that's a negative here. No, I'm saying yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to say in in the 
in support of it being a cheeseburger all along. <laughs> I, but I, I mean, <laughs> the ticking clock thing is a great discussion too, because like like you said, Jamie, like it has a very it, it, uh, I would say like a relatable motion for it. It's not yeah. like all of a sudden we're watching like you know scenes of horses running and then like somebody you know what I mean like yeah no, it's not no, like no. we're watching some like experimental <laughs> no. thing. So, so. I, well, let's just go ahead and go in and then we can always circle yeah, yeah. back if the cheeseburger conversation keeps going. But uh, like so. So one thing when I'm reading scripts, when I'm reading scripts, often I'll have uh, screenplays that ha do great job with uh, characters with uh, filmable goals, as we talk about a lot on the script and, uh, you know, measurable stakes feared um, that the character will experience if they fail to achieve the goal. Measurable rewards sought where the character is seeking some reward if they achieve the goal that we can feel. But often what is missing is a deadline to achieve that goal, right? And to your point, to both of you guys' points, uh, there is a deadline from the start of this movie, which is the end of the meal. And it's really unconventional in that, like, the menu itself is the hourglass right i i call them hourglasses where we get either uh a vocalized update of how much time is left before the deadline is up or we get a visibly measurable update of how much sand is left in that hourglass right and the menu just the construction of this story just organically creates this never-ending hourglass emptying, which is, you know, they introduce the course, and here we go. We're getting one step closer to that being delivered. They put the they put the meal on the table. There's more urgency. They eat it. Uh-oh, we're getting one step closer to the second course, which what the fuck is the second course going to bring? And that just repeats itself. So there's like every, I even tracked it, but I'm not going to break it down, but like every three minutes, there's some sort of meal-related status update where we're getting one step closer to them finishing the course and then here comes the next course that creates this momentum and urgency to like you're just it, it since everything keeps escalating and every course gets weirder it makes you feel like what the fuck is coming next right that's why all three of us said when they put that tarp down it's like oh they're they're most likely going to disembowel this guy here and like feed this guy's guts to everybody at the table because that's the that's the tension they've been building. They've been creating an expectation for that using just the menu itself to to deliver that experience. So I think it's a really good example of how you don't necessarily need like, you know, a clock, you know, that's ticking down to make it feel like time is of the essence. And oh my God, like here it comes, here comes the next one. Cause you know, when they get to the end of that menu, shit is going to be bad. <laughs> so you're right. just like, it creates this nonstop tension, like you said, Jamie. So I, I think it's a really good example of how to use a ticking clock that's not an actual clock, basically. Yeah, and we're told at the beginning, are we told, like, uh, Hung Chow says how long the menu actually four takes? Hours. Like four hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's going to take four hours, and there's seven courses. Like, and even blah, though blah, it's yeah. an unconventional ticking <laughs> clock, we do get a deadline. A yeah, yeah, they, they tell you how the length of time. Yeah, but there isn't like four. That's what no, I'm saying. Yeah. Like there isn't like a thing on the corner of the screen that's that like three hours long. down. Right. Instead, we're like we're on course number two out of seven. That's your 
that's your clock update. You know, that's your hourglass. That shows you how much sand is left in the hourglass before, before all shit goes down. Yeah. I think also on this, like because of the premise and what you're talking about, uh, the whole movie is us dreading dessert. <laughs> yes, right? exactly. And then the fact that the that the ending is about a very familiar dessert. Yeah, kind of. It's so great. Yeah, it's so right. great. <laughs> um, okay, not so secret weapons. Yeah. So, um, Jamie, I, I just love hearing you talk about all the techniques. <laughs> Jamie, do you uh, want to introduce sure, this? Sure. And then yeah, I'll... I'll I'll let you do the premise specific. Okay, it's they're they're intertwined. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So not so secret weapon is is this classic thing you always see, sometimes related to the character arc, which I'll, I'll give you an mm -hmm. example of the character arc one too. But usually whatever brings about the big win in the movie in the end is somehow set up earlier in the in the movie and sometimes a not so secret way and sometimes a secret way. Sometimes it is kind of secret. But uh, examples that always come to mind are crossing the streams in Ghostbusters or the loader in Aliens when, when Ripley shows how tough she is using a loader and how she has skills. And then both of those things come back to play in the end. A character arc version of this might be something like use the force Luke yep. at, at the end. So um, that's the not so secret weapon. And then yeah. premise specific. Yeah. So, so the, so to that note, the best, versions of these and we've gone through so many of these at this point um try to make something make it something that we can only see you know in this movie right like for an example uh in get out chris uses the cotton in the chair to plug his ears and keep himself from being brainwashed that is so that you know that represents the movie in so, in multiple ways that is a tactic that is only special in this movie, right? And what it's about and his oppression. Um, and um, like uh, crossing the streams in the Ghostbusters, you know, that's like the proton packs only exist in the Ghostbusters story world. So they created a, a not so secret weapon that we could only see in when we're putting Ghostbusters like on the TV. So, um, and Dutch's, you 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 mentioned it earlier, Jamie. Dutch uh, Arnold's Dutch's mud uh, mud camouflage in the Predator that is so specific to the monster that he's facing and the situation that he's in in the jungle. So it's like a you know it's a it's a secret weapon, not so secret weapon, and a premise specific tactic that we can only get in this movie. So that's the idea, right? In 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 Elf, I just added this to the list um, of these in Elf. It's Buddy saying the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear, right? How do they save Christmas? By getting the entire right. New York to sing a Christmas carol. Right. Um, that is a that is so unique to the movie, right? Um, and uh, I I the way I try to get my clients to do this, because most scripts I read don't have this. Um, and the way I try to get my care my clients to um find the answer to what this is, is I call it the MacGyver exercise, which is every character is MacGyver in their own MacGyver episode. And you have to ask yourself, how is my character going to MacGyver themselves out of this unique, specific situation using what's special to this movie, right? And this is like a perfect, <laughs> the menus, Margot's MacGyver move 
is so specific, right? She sees the, she goes into that guy's room, the chef's room, and she sees that, oh, the last time he was happy was when he was just a lowly line cook on a, like at a burger joint, right? He's flipping a burger. (laughs) So that plants the seeds. That is a not so secret weapon that we literally learn about the scene before she uses it, but that's okay. <laughs> and Jamie, once again, that's an unconventional because that setup happens like a minute before, whereas all these other ones we talk about, those seeds were planted an hour ago, right? Um, but she she does three things all at once, which is she 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 takes the, the chef's clap and uses it against him. She takes the returning the food, which no one would dare do, and uses it against him, and then his genuine love of cooking, right? He, she, he's told him how he's lost his joy for cooking. He hasn't wanted to cook anyone for anyone in years. And here she is I, recognizing that the last time he had a smile on his face that she knows of is when he's cooking a cheeseburger. So right, right. the cheeseburger request is like a great example of a premise specific tactic and a not so secret weapon. So I, it's just a great example. If you're trying to understand what that is, and and Jamie, the funny part is, I think since we've recognized this, that it's sort of a standard must-have ingredient to a cheeseburger movie. Mm-hmm. Like you, like you can't have a cheeseburger movie without a not-so-secret weapon. So again, kind of in the favor of this is a cheeseburger. It has a not-so-secret. It has its own crossing the streams, right? Right. Um, yeah. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm jazzed about this movie. I love this movie. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess we Twist didn't expect Jamie, Jimmy to love it this much. I mean, I fucking love this movie. Yeah. So well, rever- reverse lock. They call yeah. this <laughs> Jimmy's reverse lock, right? Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. So Margot, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about her. Interesting conversation. Does she arc? Mm. And what kind of arc? So originally, Jamie, what were you saying that you were, were you even, you were going into like, first of all, you were having your issues with whether she was the hero, but then when it came to like the arc conversation, where were your feelings? Yeah. Margo is an interesting character in that. I don't really think she has an arc per se. Like, I think she kind of starts out the same person she ends up with, maybe with a slightly differing experience. Do you, do you guys kind of feel the same way? Like, like she's kind of would do the same things. Her character at the beginning would have done the same thing as the character at the end. Agree. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because she is Jamie, not a different person. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like you, Jamie, you talk about like the before and after snapshot, mm-hmm. and then we've mm-hmm. sort of evolved that into old way, new way, right? So mm-hmm. we see the character do something the old way that shows like how they need to grow and change. And then we see the character do something, the same thing, the new way that shows they've grown and changed, right? We don't, right, right. We yeah. don't get an old way. We don't even yeah. know any enough about her to even have any perception of a before snapshot. We know we she's just like, like a sex worker and she's not rich. Right. right. That's about right. pretty much it, it. Right. And yeah. I remember, Bob, you you've talked about this is uh, I don't remember what episodes you've mentioned, but I I I'm getting this from past things from you where you've saying a lot of times people confuse character arc with character awareness where a character yes, yes. is going into a situation and what changes is their awareness that they gain about whatever information they need to know to to 
to get out of the, the conflict. Right. And right. I think this is an example of that. Like she is not aware of fully aware of the situation. And the only thing that changes is like her awareness. But she, you know? yeah, she's the same person with new knowledge. So it's, yes, yeah. which is not an arc. That's not an arc. No, that's right. Not. Just cause you know that like secret islands with culinary delights exist. Doesn't mean you're a new person. <laughs> <laughs> and that there's a chef, you know, a right. Jim Jones chef with a right cult of, you know, sous chefs and she responds to all of it as she would always respond to all of it, as Jamie already pointed out. I think that yeah, I find that one of the things that people like about the show and like, I mean, I know we're getting it from books, but like, does a character would the character do the same thing at the end mm-hmm. that they would do at the beginning? I hear that from people all the time. Like, it's like a light bulb over their head. Like, That's great. <laughs> well, yeah, That's I great. mean, it's you know, it's true. And and I feel like her before snapshot, if we were going to get one would be the same like she leaves this she goes home from this and she's like that was fucking crazy man but like her life is the same you know like (laughs) i mean i can see how somebody would say she has an arc because like it's kind of that epiphany moment of her thinking about the cheeseburger Mm -hmm. it seems like something in her is changing but really it's just her getting an idea yeah i almost feel like like her so like her her job they they even sort of you know tease it when she's talking about how she knows the old man at the table right and what she did for him her job is to like connect with other humans and figure out what they need right Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. like what she does that's like her unique skill set with her as being a sex worker and that's really what she does and she probably has done that before the movie started to get herself out of other conflicts right so it's it doesn't really feel like she's doing something that she wouldn't that she's never well, done before. Right. And the movie also doesn't, I, I love the fact that the movie doesn't have any like interplay about any turmoil about what she does for a living. No, fantastic. Like right. it doesn't even, place bo- that's zero, not even a thing. Zero in fact, emphasis on In that. fact, she, she kind of is placed in a, in a, it's almost like more respectable what she's yeah, doing. No, totally. You know, all the movie um, just like, respects people that aren't the, you know, rich. Yeah. The rich takers. Famous. Yeah. The takers. The takers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're, I, we're so we're saying it is a flat arc, but also an arc of awesome, which is slightly the same thing. Yeah, Jamie, you I, I get what you're saying, Jamie. To like, that, yeah, we so we were talking before this. There's there's this thing called the arc of awesome that a friend of mine, Keith Calder, he's a producer. He actually kind of coined, and the arc of awesome is sort of like a character that already has it figured out. He's already in the good place, so to speak, in his heart. And the world keeps trying to pull them down. So they kind of change the world based on on uh, their own goodness, like Superman or Captain America or something. Forrest like Gump. Forrest Gump. Um, I, this is one of the first things Jamie ever explained to me about screenwriting. It's like one of the first things we ever talked about, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Superman yeah. Superman and the Ark of Awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that so that's that's the Ark of Awesome. Then there's this other term called a flat arc. But if you Google it, like I just Googled it just to see um, what it said. And it's kind of the same thing, but maybe not with the change of the world element. Right. That's what I was taught was why I was curious. So so I think it is kind of the same thing. But the arc of awesome is the change has the change of world. The flat arc might have the change of world. It's more more generic, like almost like the arc of awesome inherits from the flat arc. (laughs) <laughs> so a, a flat arc is, this is the definition I Googled from selfpublishingschool.com or whatever that is. Um, a flat arc is used for a protagonist that knows the truth about himself 
uh, from the start. There's no arc defined uh, for better or worse. Instead, this character can change the world around them. So I mean, and uh, she 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 has enough influence, and granted, it's manipulation and it's a tactic, but she has enough influence to change the chef from wanting from refusing to let her go to letting her go. Right. So that is measurable. Yeah, and I think that is what this character is. They they have the truth already. They have the truth that if the other people had it, they might be able to save themselves. Yes. But they, those characters don't have it. So they I mean, fail. if they had it, they wouldn't even be on the island. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. there, yeah. There, there is a third type of arc, which is the tragic flat arc. Yep. I'll call it. I'll call it the tragic flat arc. I don't know that it has a name, but that's the person that should arc, but doesn't. So they learn right, the that's lesson. Where, that's where, oh, really? Would this it, be like uh, leaving Las Vegas or something like that? Where like Nick Cage just drinks himself to death and there's no... And then, and then there's a tragedy, something bad happens. So if you could yeah. imagine like, um, in some ways, all the other characters are that way in this, in some ways. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. a great point. So they they all, all do have that. I don't know that they really have a lesson to learn, but they don't learn any lessons and they end up dying. And we're kind of okay with that because they didn't lose the lesson. But imagine if like Tyler went from being like himself to being like Margot, um, and and then he died, it would feel a little tragic, unless he did a sacrifice or something like that in order to, it, right, it would right. feel a little bit of a downer it, that, oh, this guy really didn't, he did learn the lesson he should have lived or something like that. But sometimes characters, you know, should be learning something, they should arc, they don't, and then they die, and that's a tragic ending. Do, do you find I mean, in, the, yeah. in the movie, in the last moments when, everyone sort of ex there's like that like you know midsummer moment where everyone sort of accepts what's happening like mm -hmm. that does that play with what you're saying at all jamie i think like, so you know jamie I, mean? yeah. I think when you I just pointed so. that out you made me have a nice little aha like with that thematically they are learning the lesson that the chef's trying to to to, to say to them and they don't but it's mm -hmm. too late for them. It's, well, it's too yeah. late. Yeah, yeah they have like thirty late. seconds to live, and when they learn, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. That that acceptance speaks to that. Yeah, that yeah. Um, well, deleted scenes. You wanted to talk about this? Yeah. It's so Jamie, I read the right? script. I breezed through the script before the episode, mm -hmm. um, just because uh, when I'm full disclosure, when we're doing these episodes, it can save me a lot of time if I can search a PDF for mm -hmm. one of these topics and I can jump to the page. And if it matches the movie, it's, it's really easy to study scripts if you have the PDFs of them. So anyway, um, oh, let's back up just one thing because I wanted to say what was in the script about Margot's what what the script was trying to do with Margot in her final moments. Oh, there. right. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, tell us. This is this is, you know, it's relevant to the script. So um, on page 107 in the script, the scene is scripted exactly the same as as we just talked about. Like she she takes her to go bag and she um, she looks back um, and here's what the script says. Um, now, remember, I just mentioned like she has a relationship with that old guy at the table like he hired right. her. Right. But mm -hmm. it's explored so little. But this is relevant to that. So it says, Margot takes a last look at Chef and Richard, that's the old guy's name, and Anne, and walks out of the restaurant. We sense that she is also walking away from the life she had, away from the world of men she is now finally done with. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's don't in think, the movie. 
That seems like it must have been an old draft or something. No, this right? is the shooting draft. This is the shooting draft. And and not and everything that I said, those conversations that they cut with Tyler and Margo, none mm. of that talked about, explored this whatsoever. <laughs> so it's one of those things, you know, sometimes people put something on the page and they haven't done enough to earn that. And I think it, this is the case. Yeah. yeah, And it, it is one of those things, like if you were being a real stingy about writing, like it's an unfilmable kind of thing. Like, like she's just looking, right? <laughs> right. Right. Because right, right. the question would be, how does the director, how do you convey that? that? Yeah, how does a director shoot that? So it's a cheat in some ways. By the way, it's an okay cheat. We do this all the time yes. because people read fast and stuff like that. So it, as long as you don't overdo it and as long as you earn it, like th that's mm -hmm. the difference. Like if if this script did earn that arc and you put that there, it would kind of be hinting at the performance and how to shoot it. Like if she looks out like with tears in her eyes or something or like, or stern or whatever, it kind of hints at that without saying with tears in her eyes, which could be ambiguous and misinterpreted. Right. So yeah. it's okay to do these cheats. Like, even though it is, it is technically a cheat. So when you I always that, err on the side of clarity, like if, if it's I, filmable and it's clear, I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying it's yeah. funny when I came up screenwriting, I came up with people that would that were militant against this kind of thing. Right? <laughs> but then as the many years passed, I found to the point where this is always the joke I, I kind of say, this is true, by the way. I used to get notes all the time, like, we don't know, we don't know how she's feeling this way, why she's feeling this way. And my fix, I love those notes because I would just go in and say, she looks out, she feels sad. And I just wrote, you <laughs> now I'd cover the notes like, like, you know, or something like that. Or we can't yeah, tell yeah, if she's, yeah, yeah. we can't tell if she's scared or not. I'd write, and you know, she's scared. I just put it in the say, script and, and they would be fine the next draft. I just, I just put it, she's scared. and it, it would work. It works every time. Um, so, no, but it, it was, yeah. it, it was interesting that this was in there for all the clarity mm -hmm. that is there on, on, on the page. Right. There's this, huge passage at the end of her journey that's talking about something that i feel like like you said i think bob the way you put it that's it probably was given more emphasis in older drafts and as they've peeled away the pieces of the onion like some of that onion still remains you know the old version that happens sometimes yeah. but yeah like i don't feel like maybe there was another version of this script where that was really at the forefront of margot's journey it's and her in also her like, inner conflict note that her both looking at tyler being dead and when she leaves the room i kind of love how she's sort of emotionless about those people dying yes yes she's, she does not care about but them. i also think that moment which isn't in the script by the way where and uh you know angela from uh, who's the boss, who's the boss yeah. is giving her the the waving at her to go yeah that kind of final little permission like you don't belong here in a positive way i think is really important and it's like a nice little like moment that like absolves her of needing to like try to save the the people like you yeah. can't save us it's you can't save us yeah. yeah 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 take your one little you know, the one good thing that came out of this, you know, this one person survives this. Yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. So, ba so back to the... Us, that brings us to other deleted scenes. <laughs> there right? are other deleted scenes, so it's good. Um, it's relevant. Okay. Uh, the John Leguizamo character mm -hmm. had an, a peanut allergy. They actually um, played up 
all of the characters' dietary restrictions more in the script throughout. And that's just something like in the scenes, like where there's like a piece of dialogue here and there that was meant to create tension that they just cut out. They probably even filmed it, right? Um, there was that gluten-free comment. The gluten-free guy, yeah. um, the old man at the table, they didn't play with it. He's allergic to shellfish in the script. And then John Lugazambo's character is allergic to peanuts. So they took that and played with it in multiple ways through every single table had somebody like this, um, which is like very premise specific, right? Um, but anyway, um, he had a peanut allergy. And then the 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 scene where Margot is fighting with Elsa with the knife is intercut with um, after... Um, the chef talks about why he needs to be punished. His manager is forced with all the chefs around her to feed John Leguizamo his own special di- final course <laughs> that's got peanuts in right. it. And it's intercut in the script between Margot and Elsa fighting in the kitchen to John Leguizamo being force fed a peanut allergy uh, meal and fighting and coughing I mean, and choking. It's like completely different, right? Yeah. So different. Yeah, <laughs> that's like that's like the you know there's no Delorean in this in the script. You know, yeah, that's so that's future. a very that different. different that that's a very and they have the thing on the course. Uh, uh, the 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 you know the funny description of the meal comes yeah. up and it says. Uh, course number eight, uh, or going nuts. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so it's like really like in, in extra, particularly absurd. Right? right. Um, so that's an interesting change that's in the shooting script. I only know it's the shooting script cause they have all the color labels of production draft. There's like a, you know, there's blue pages and pink pages and all that. Um, which is indicative of it being like the closest possible one. Um, in the final course, <laughs> this is another one. It right before the s'mores, um, like right after the peanut thing, yeah. Lillian, the food critic, is waterboarded with a bucket of the emulsion that she criticized. You know how they kept. Oh, so that her, had like a payoff. It had this. a payoff with the bucket at the table and the the sous chefs dunking her in and out of the emulsion. <laughs> um. Oh, man. So that's another thing that they cut from the, you know, from the finale. Right. And then um, this is this is a this is like one of my favorite watch changes. So when Margot goes into the chef's room, there's two changes. They swapped the they swapped the ambiguity, the mystery, which is when Margot goes into the chef's room in the script, we are not told what she's looking at when she looks at the picture of the burger, him flipping the burger, it says we don't get to see what she's looking at, but she it's important. And then in the reverse, when she turns around and the CB radio is there, we get to hear the whole conversation she has with the, with the Coast Guard. And we know definitively that the, co- that the Coast Guard is on their way, they, that she thinks the Coast Guard is on their way to rescue her. So they flipped that mystery, like because in the real scene we get to see the burger, but we don't get to hear the conversation yeah, on we just CB radio. She calls somebody, yeah. So I think it's like really instructive, right? Like imagine that burger choice doesn't hit as hard 
if we don't see that picture, right? Even in the shooting draft, they didn't want to show the picture. So it's really interesting. And who knows, maybe it was a late insert, right? Because it is just an insert shot. So maybe they did a test and they were like, you know what? This is going to hit harder if we see the the burger. And they weren't even, they maybe they did like a late, late insert shot of it. Who knows? But yeah, in the script, she doesn't, she doesn't look, we don't see what that picture is. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Right. It isn't until yeah. the end after That's she perfect. leaves, she, after she leaves and she's escaped when there's like the fire, there's like a, a, like a, like a slow close up onto the picture and revealing that it's, it's a almost like the, the shining burger. or something, right? Yeah. At the end of the shining. After she made that choice, they're telling us how she got that idea after it really interesting. Right. Um, and then, this is this is the one to what you were just saying, Jamie, about the when how we were kind of coming to a conclusion that maybe all the other characters and the guests have a tragic arc, like they learn mm -hmm. the lesson and they accept it, but but nothing changed. Like it's too late in the script. Right before the chet the chef torches them on the page, the guests are described as being genuinely happy to pay their bills, and they stand and applaud the chef. And they are described as expressing genuine appreciation for the experience he gave them. Then he burns them alive. And that is not how it plays at all. Like, that's the fucking s'mores weird. Aren't, the s'mores aren't mentioned at all? No, the s'mores, the, all the s'mores happens. But oh, as oh, they're oh. being doused in shit, when they pay the bill, they're pumped about it. And when they stand... They are applauding that he taught them the lesson and they're applauding the experience that he gave them. They're like grateful for basically about to be being burned alive. So it's like beyond acceptance. They're showing gratitude for the meal, which is very different. <laughs> yeah, that's weird, so right? Different. Yeah, that's so yeah. weird. I mean, there's there's like a like one moment of some weird gratitude thing, enlightenment, <laughs> but not that. Yeah, weird, yeah, right? Like, I always yeah, like to weird. see these changes and and think about the movie that could have been, right? And what how that would change the end. I feel like it wouldn't be as scary um or impactful if they were like it would be too absurd. Um I think some it of crosses the absurdity editing. line. They, they might yeah. have shot some of that with They might have shot it. it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's and that's what we always say, right? That's why we say the final edit of the, the movie final edit of the script. movie. Well, that's also yeah. Yeah, what the readers have access to and everything. Mm -hmm. one, yeah. one, one thing I forgot, and this this is way late to bring this up, but one thing that <laughs> no, is is uh, this movie originally had Alexander Payne and Emma Stone attached to it, really? and Daniel Radcliffe. Radcliffe? I didn't even know Radcliffe. See, was Daniel that. Radcliffe was going to be Tyler. Tyler? Oh, wow. Right. And, and Ralph <laughs> Ralph Finney's was in from the beginning. Uh, and he apparently, apparently Alexander Payne and Emma Stone went out together. But, and, and everybody thought Finney's would go too. But then when they brought the new director and he stayed. Um, gotcha. But for a while, it was, I, I think it, Usually when something like that happens, it can almost feel like the end of a project. Like that is the end. Yeah. And once you yeah. lose your actors, it's the end. So I'm really that, glad it worked out. Yeah. Yep. And it, I, I guess it's it was produced by Adam McKay, who also produces the um, Succession, right? Yeah. Yes, I think so. Yeah. I, I think he does. Also another, com that. another technically another comedy voice. So. Yeah. You yeah. Know, yep. You know, and uh, he's little. made something like absurdist tone, like the big mm -hmm. short. You know, um, right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, I think that's everything, guys. Yeah. I think that's that's all we, we have. Um, did you guys want to plug anything, tell people about anything? We made it to the dessert. Yeah, we um, made it to the, <laughs> right, the menu. We, we made it to the, the cheeseburger at the end. We can get out. Um, ah, you know what I want to say? I want to ask, what did we learn? We haven't done that in like 10, 15 episodes. What did we learn? My my problem, the reason I don't like what we learn is the whole thing is what I learned. Yeah, that that, <laughs> that was always my problem with it. All right, we can. What do we learn that no, neither Bob nor Jamie wants to do this portion of the show again? <laughs> no, no, it's, I, I, I stopped I, asking. I stopped I think, asking. It. I think I was the person that brought up what we learned, and then I was always like, "What am I going to do? Just go back and highlight my favorite thing?" Or yeah, or, what I usually tried to do was try to do what I learned in this podcast as opposed to from the movie. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what was the yeah. thing I learned from this podcast? Um, like from you guys. Uh, but I can't think of, I can't think of what that is. Not that I didn't learn anything today, but I can't narrow in on that one <laughs> nugget of, of beautiful knowledge that you gave me today. I mean, I, I'll be, I can always say I learned about deleted stuff from, from Jimmy. You're always, you're, you're the research guy, Jimmy. Sure. You're always sure. digging research in. guy. So. Yeah, I always learn more about movies from you. So, and this, I try, this is no ex- exception. So, oh, yeah. I try to, I try to like do it justice if we can. And um, no, I learned about the flat arc thing. I hadn't really thought of flat arc as like sort of being a companion to to arc of awesome. So that was that was is educational it, to me. Is a good episode for that uh, of Back to the Future with Marty? I think we have that discussion, right? Was yeah, that- we do mm-hmm. because it's really mm-hmm. George the one. George is the one George, who has right. the yeah. The uh, I just remember arc. that being a big arc discussion. Yeah, yeah. Because a, yeah. a lot of times when you have that flat arc arc of awesome, somebody else changes, and I yep. think in right. I think right. in this one, it somebody else should change, but they don't, and then they die. Yeah. So it's it's kind <laughs> of like it, but not really. Yeah. But the, but there's lessons for someone else. When, when you have somebody with a flat arc, there are lessons, but they're for other characters, not for, for other characters, characters not yeah. for the character. Yep. That's yeah. a good way to put it, Jamie. But yeah, no. Do you guys, um, well, in no. that case, do you guys have anything to plug? Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think. I. It's funny. I have something to plug for tomorrow, but this won't be out by tomorrow. So <laughs> I'm not going to plug it. <laughs> uh, uh, let's, let's see. Um, nope. Nothing to plug. Uh well I just wanted to say thanks to everyone that's supporting you know this the show and me on Patreon, um you know I really appreciate it and if you want to help us out you can do that you can leave us a uh, thing on iTunes a review or you can just share the show believe it or not like that is huge and I don't think we ask enough for that we don't, we don't really <laughs> ask for that but like just sharing the show is is really appreciated you know especially if you're like in like a screenwriters group or something like that that we are it really does help yeah yeah if you're on reddit and you know how to use reddit and you want to (laughs) share the show and it's not us sharing it that would be a huge help yeah because when we share it people are like fuck you for (laughs) self-promoting right 500 down votes within 30 minutes right so (laughs) any of you uh any of our listeners are reddit jedi masters please try do it up <laughs> thank you we appreciate it um but yeah i with- wish i knew the guy in england who is on an english uh, on a british uh screenwriting group who shares us i don't know his name because he's got like you know the reddit phone name so right, right, uh, right. there's somebody out there who is sharing us in in a in a screenwriting group 
and uh, it's it's helping. Well, thank you to that guy. Well, <laughs> whatever his name may be. Um, his yeah, name so- is Edgar Edgar Wright. <laughs> yeah, huge fan. He loves he loves when we talk about transitions. <laughs> um, <laughs> we haven't done Edgar Wright movie yet, have we? No, we we need to do to. one. Or, yes, yes. yes. Which one would we do? It's like I don't even know. <laughs> I'd leave it up to Jamie. If whatever, yeah, whatever Jamie is to do. Jamie's most excited about. Let's yeah. Do it. Hot Fuzz is my favorite, but we don't have to do that. That's I just I know the one I wouldn't do. The most recent one I, I would not do. Ah, uh, the Soho oh, last night in Soho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not well. Uh, if we did one, I think I we know. we could do like him and Simon Pegg scripts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. That's what I would it, figure we do. It would be. I think Shaun of the Dead would be the one. That I'd seems probably yeah, obvious. I one mean, to do. Yeah. just seems right and just really right. instructive. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot out there about their process. I do the and, unmade Ant Man film. Oh, so <laughs> we could do. It would just be the Ant Man we got with more crash zooms and no quantum realm, right? right. Know what, that's kind of better. Understood. Better transitions. That's better transitions. Jamie took it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, with that, I think we're we're done. I'm gonna yeah. go eat a big cheeseburger today. I think just yep. a celebration. <laughs> and uh, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys later. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Bob Rose, and thank you for listening to Writer's Blockbusters. If you'd like to financially support the show, please consider joining my Patreon. I've been producing the podcast for several years completely out of pocket, and I'd like to keep producing it ad-free and no longer at a loss. If you'd like to help, head on over to patreon.com slash Bob Rose sucks. That's right. Bob Rose sucks. And if you want the one and only Jimmy George to help polish up that writing project you're kind of struggling with, head on over to scriptbutcher.com. As a listener, you already know he's the best there is. Scriptbutcher.com. You can also support the show by simply sharing it or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate both. Thank you for listening and see you next episode.